Just a quick warning that we will be discussing heavy themes like pregnancy loss, abortion, religion, suicide, and just really big sort of existential questions. So this is our unbleeped version of our thoughts as they come to us. Hello, and welcome to the very first official episode of A Hopeless Endeavor, a Joanna Newsom podcast. My name is Sam. I live in Vancouver. And I'm Nikki. I live in Ithaca in upstate New York. <sighs> so yeah, this is the first episode, you guys, and we don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> so just be gentle and patient with us, but we're going to try our best for you to just break down some of the stuff going on in Emily. Like we said last time, like we are uh, not at all claiming to have... Uh, the best understanding about this song. We're probably going to miss a whole bunch of significant stuff. We're probably going to like suggest theories that are not totally correct. If there is in fact like a correct interpretation. Totally. Yeah. So we're just trying our best. Yeah. So we are going to work our way through Yee's one song at a time. Um, this week we are tackling the immense literature that is Emily. Um, <laughs> and as Nikki said, we are not experts. Um, we welcome your submissions, your additions, your corrections with fully open hearts. Um, and who's to say in the future that we don't do an entire episode of corrections, <laughs> which I'd be down for. for totally. sure. Uh, also just like before we start, um, I just want to thank everyone for their incredible support and encouragement so far. Sam and I were talking earlier and it's just been like so truly touching to just hear encouraging words from you guys. Like it makes us have faith in the world. Like <laughs> we just didn't before. I don't know. Totally. Thank you so much for, if you've written us a little note on Instagram, if you sent us a voice memo, um, if you've liked a post or something, um, <laughs> this is all super, super new to us and it's a little bit overwhelming, but, um, yeah, thank we you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Also, we have our wine and our beer, I believe Sam is drinking. Yeah. So that's hopefully going to help calm our nerves a little bit. <laughs> Make us a little more comfortable with this whole thing. <laughs> uh, so we invite you to crack one open with us. Okay. So before we dive into like the specifics of Emily and we work through the song, you know, verse by verse by verse, um, I just wanted to say a couple like broad things about East um, to start with. So I think like in the future, I'm going to try to do a better job at like citing my sources and remembering exactly where I heard what from uh, for this episode. You'll have to excuse me because I don't quite have everything written down, but I just wanted to mention like a few of the things that I've heard um, Joanna say about East. So yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to dive right in. So she said that the reason that she chose East as the title of her album, um, and by the way, East is a like mythical city um, that was in Brittany. And um, yeah, I don't know much about the myth. I just know that there is, uh, because of some like decadent, excessive choice that the daughter in the myth made, uh, the consequence of that choice was that like the city um, flooded 
and the only survivor left of the city was the the dad, the king, in the myth. Um, I might get more into detail about the myth, like in a future episode. I don't think it factors in a lot to the analysis of em- Emily, but I just wanted to mention that she said that she picked um, that as her album title because she said that the main themes, broadly speaking, in that myth um, really were reflected in the uh, the main themes of of the record that she had just made. So, yeah. Um, she, quoting her right now, she said that the main themes on East and in the myth are mortality, decadence, excess of water, isolation, uh, and rebirth. Totally. And um, we've come across some of those themes in our own research as well. Um, I would add, if you didn't already say this, Nikki, the uh, astronomy, religion, not just Christianity, but there's some Judaism in there too. Um, yeah. Also, like, I haven't talked to you about this yet, Sam, but I, like, struggle, especially with this album. Like, in general, I don't want to be talking about, um, like, Joanna Newsom and, like, her life and the events that have happened in her life. Sure. So, like, as much as I can, I want to say, like, the narrator of the song. Sure. But also, like, on this particular song, Emily, like... It's, I mean, she said before, it's deeply biographical and it's hard to talk about it without making reference to uh, the fact that Emily is Joanna Newsom's sister and that she's an astrophysicist. Um, that stuff factors in pretty heavily uh, throughout the song. But yeah, in general, we'll try to stay away from talking about her personal shit. But yeah, uh, I think it's worth mentioning at least that she, Emily's her sister. <laughs> totally. Okay, do you want to take the first line away? Sure. So do we want to, do we need to say each verse as we go? Yeah, I was wondering about that. I think we should probably do that just so that people can listen without having it right in front of them. Sure. So uh, the first verse is the meadowlark and the chimchiri and the sparrow set to the sky in a flying spree for the sport of the pharaoh. Little while later, the Pharisees dragged a comb through the meadow. Do you remember what they called up to you and me in our window? Um, I think the first thing that I kind of took away from that was um, it just made my brain go crazy with references to birds throughout all of her music. Um, yeah. It made me think of Sawdust and Diamonds, Goose Eggs, uh, yeah. Baby Birch, Kingfisher, yeah. Cassiopeia. What have I known? Three little babes. I'm sure there's <laughs> <laughs> so many more throughout her discography. Um, uh, but I, it also did make me think of, uh, and someone probably mentioned this to me as well, um, the Mary Poppins song, Chim yes. Chimney. Um, chim Chimney, Chim Chimney, Chim Chim. Exactly, <laughs> which is maybe the best song from that film besides uh, Meet the Birds. Um, I actually haven't seen it, so I don't know. <laughs> okay, I that's, know. Your, that's your homework this week. Thank you, guys. I know. It's so good. I'm sure slightly problematic uh, in 2020, but... Um, Almost certainly. Yeah, a classic. Um, yeah, ooh, and then um, the line set to, this, uh, set to the sky in a flying spree... Um, and I did have to Google this, but it made me think of, just let me find it in my 
this here. Um, it's called Upland Hunting, where um, the birds are flushed out by either a dog or by hunters and then shot midair. Um, hmm. uh, if we think of the timeline kind of of the pharaoh that's also mentioned, I wonder if that's something he did. Yeah, I actually looked it up. So I looked up like, which like I find myself looking up crazy shit all the oh, time. Oh, yeah. The Google history <laughs> is wild at this yeah, point. It's wild. <laughs> but I think I looked up something like Pharaoh Sport. Without Googling anything other than that, it came like one of the suggestions, I think on Wikipedia that came up was that they used to hunt birds for sport. Um, I don't know if I read about the specific way that you had mentioned, but I just know that I had noted just made a mental note of the hunting birds for sport as a pharaoh hobby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In my notes, I have written, like, what the fuck is a chimtree? So I feel like this has been the topic of a bunch of debate within, like, the very active John Newsom community. And so, like you said, so I think that it's both. um, I think on the Genius page, it says something like um, it's a folk name for a bird or like folk names Mm. for birds have similar formulations as chimchurri. But I think you're right, Sam, that it is alluding to um, Mary Poppins just because of how prominent a theme that like their childhood plays in this song. I think it's like a really important part of understanding the song. And so I don't think it's an accident that she's making that, um, that reference. No, and I did see elsewhere. Um, that it might have been like a an automatic name that her family uses for a bird that might make that sound. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But how we're going to confirm that, I, uh, I can't tell you. <laughs> no, that's, I like that theory, though. That's nice. Yeah, it's very sweet. Um, I was also looking up, like, <laughs> I was like, why did she choose these specific birds? Because, I mean, with, like, I feel like, well, I mean, I already feel like a crazy person just researching <laughs> Joanna, Joanna Newsom's uh, art. Oh, yeah. By the way, also, I always call her Joanna. And this is just like a habit of mine for the last like 15 years or something. I should be calling her like Newsom or something more respectful. Please but, like, know that just... we are not on a first name basis. It's just our familiarity with her. <laughs> with her totally. Music. And it's not it's probably sexist to be calling her by her first name rather than her last name but it really is just like a habit that I don't even notice I'm doing anymore so like totally bear with us I guess if you guys have strong preferences for us to change it to Newsome we can work on that but shoot us an email let us know (laughs) (laughs) yeah so what was I saying um mm -mm -mm. I don't remember what my thought was there I know it's fine um (laughs) Sam, I liked your note, though, in the Google Docs um, about the transition from Pharaoh to Pharisee. Oh, it's such a funny (laughs) joke. She takes us in a little while later from the first dynasty of Egypt, which is like 152 BCE, to the time of the Pharisees and Second Temple Judaism, just literally thousands of years a little while later (laughs) i love that too um i remembered my thought it was that with joanna newsom i always like don't know how much to read into each specific choice like i feel like on divers especially it's really clear that like literally every word 
means something or has like a double meaning of some kind. And so I think that's less true on like Milk-Eyed Mender, for example. And so because like East is like halfway there between the two of them, I'm not sure how much how much emphasis to put on each specific choice. But I was wondering, like, why did she choose the meadowlark in specific and the sparrow in specific? Is it because it symbolizes something or because, you know, those are birds maybe that are in California where she grew up. And so it reminds her of home. And I didn't really find anything super convincing. I found that, like, I don't know, like, the that larks can be symbolic of, like, fertility and fidelity and beauty and abundance, which can be, you know, which will relate back to the song. But also that could just be you know, pulling, pulling meaning from where there wasn't intended to be meaning. Um, I found that Sparrow could mean integrity, peace, simplicity, community. Again, I don't know how much to read into that though. So. I mean, with a quick Google, it does look like the metal art does have a habitat somewhere in California. So yeah, totally could very well be. Yeah. And somewhere in some interview, again, I'll be better at making note of what so I can direct you guys to it. But I do remember um, her saying that in this song in particular, she like, I think she said something like it's the most autobiographical song she's ever written and that she like is literally describing where she grew up with her sister Mm -hmm. in um, Northern California in Nevada City, which is like just super lush and like verdant and beautiful so, yeah, it really could just be, like, drawing or, like, painting this gorgeous picture of, like, a lush landscape with, um, I mean, nature also is, like, a huge part of the album. So just, like, painting that picture. Yeah, which she does beautifully at every which she does beautifully. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I wrote a little bit about the Pharisees. Yes. Um, which was a really fun deep dive to do. Um, the Pharisees were a social movement and a school of thought uh, during the time of Second Temple Judaism. Um, Pharisee, after 70 CE, Pharisaic beliefs became the foundational um, and ritualistic beliefs for uh, rabbinic Judaism. Um, one really interesting point from there that I thought was... Um, uh, from Wikipedia, the Pharisees continued a form of Judaism that extended beyond the temple, and they applied Jewish law to mundane activities in order to sanctify the everyday world. <clears throat> if we consider the consistent references to nature, um, the idea of sanctifying the everyday world makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah. If we define sanctify as to set apart or to declare holy, um, yeah. can we maybe apply that to like the broader theme of nature to um, her relationship with her sister, maybe um, some kind of pull between silence, silence, uh, science and nature. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think there's um, that kind of theme going on. Um, I also have like kind of a wild theory that I haven't seen written anywhere. And also uh, like, just as a disclaimer, I know, like embarrassingly little about religion so I was raised Catholic but there's like a joke as I've discovered as an adult there's like a joke that Catholics don't read the Bible which was absolutely (laughs) the case with my family we did not read the Bible but we went to church and stuff but anyways um I have this theory that I haven't seen mentioned anywhere that she is like kind of sort of comparing her sister to Moses in this song okay because my partner uh, knows a shit ton about the Bible and so was explaining some of the stuff to me. So I'll talk more about 
why I think she might be alluding a little bit to Moses later on in the song. But as it relates to the Pharisees, um, as I understand it, the Pharisees were followers of Moses. So Moses like was giving the word of God, right? And the Pharisees like respected Moses in his um, deliverance of the word of God. And also like notably, at least to this song, notably followed what Moses was saying to the letter. So when I first asked my partner about, I was like, who are the Pharisees? Like, what is that? Um, the first thing that he said was that um, that the Pharisees uh, are known as people who follow the law, like to the letter, to the letter of the law, By the which letter. comes up exactly. So, okay, I don't know. That's just, I'll, I'll get more into that theory as we get more into the song, but that it's something to, I guess, keep in mind. Yeah, I also uh, really like the idea that... Um the Pharisees practiced a more participatory form of Judaism mm-hmm. um, and one that valued scholarly achievement over birthright. And mm-hmm. it made me wonder, first of all, if this is kind of like a, a something to do with her sister, her sister, super scholarly, super, um, super academic. Um, and also it just might be like a general call out more to a theme of power and to the idea that like power can be found collectively versus inherited, um, kind of more like nature. Please. Yeah, totally. So after we got through the first verse, <laughs> first actual like three, four lines. Okay. Yeah. That's all I have for the first bit of it. Do you have anything else to add about the... I don't think I any I, I don't think I had any notes on do you remember what they called up to you and me in our window? Um, yeah, I like I it, it, this line bothers me in that <laughs> I don't know what she's talking about. Like more than normal, I don't know what she's talking about. Um, and there's some other part later in the song, right, where she's um, Emily like threw the windows wide and cried, "Amen, amen, amen." Um. And like you look down and saw now what was happening. So like she's painting this picture of, I think, of of the narrator and Emily both being somewhere up and everybody else being somewhere down. But like for the life of me, I don't know what that is supposed to symbolize or be referring to. So I yeah, I really don't know about the the window line. Do you remember what they called up to you and me in our window? I don't know. Hmm. Well, and I don't know sure. what the content of the thing that they called up to them would be. I don't know. <laughs> if you have an idea, please send us please. an email. We would yeah. wholeheartedly love to hear it. Absolutely. Okay. So then she goes on to say that there is a rusty light on the pines tonight, sun pouring wine, Lord, or marrow, down into the bones of the birches and the spires of the churches jutting out from the shadows. The yoke and the axe and the old smokestacks and the bale and the barrow. And everything sloped like it was dragged from a rope in the mouth of the south below. Okay. So, I mean, I just, for some reason, like, love the imagery of, and the way she puts it, of the sun pouring wine, like, or, or bone marrow down into these, like, skeletal trees. Totally. The word spire itself is such an incredible choice. Um, Like, the definition I 
wrote down was a tapering conical or uh, structure on the top of a building, typically a church tower, which maybe brings us back to um, some of those Christian references. Yeah. Um, but just a long tapering object, something standing very tall um, is incredibly beautiful. <laughs> it's super beautiful. And um, I can't remember if I said this at the outset when I was talking about overarching themes in, in East, but one of the reasons she said that she really liked like YS as like the title for this this mythical place and that why she liked it as the name for her album is that she really liked the violence. So she like she used the word violence more than once in describing um, sort of what it's like to like encounter that word and to try to spell it against this like portrait which portrait of her, which kind of looks like soft and sort of um, like domestic almost. Totally. It just looks like very like inviting in a way that she was like, I wanted to add some element of violence to the cover of it. Um, and just the description of like the, um, these like trees. So the, the bones of the birches, these trees being like skeletons uh, into which like the sun is either pouring wine or marrow bone marrow into them like reminds me of that kind of violence and it sort of sets up that theme which I think is like low-key and I think it's kind of easy to miss throughout the whole album but there is like a strong element of violence I think or like like heavy shit going yeah. on <laughs> in <Heavy> shit for <laughs> sure <laughs> yeah that I think is easy to miss but but that I think is definitely there and like the way that she says just like sun pouring wine lord or marrow it's just like oh it's so she's good, overcome man. with it almost yeah the narrator exactly. is overcome with it yeah exactly and actually like just even talking about this now kind of made me realize a little bit more like like I think this this song in particular gets into like super existentialist grounds. So some some people that we have heard from and some of the theories that I've read just online have been saying that like there are like really prominent Christian themes throughout this song, um, which obviously we've already touched on. But to like to me, it almost seems I, I'm not totally convinced of this, but it almost seems like a falling from Christianity, like in mm. that. As a kid, she had this like strong faith and everything was like safe and inviting and welcoming and and familiar. And there's something about just the description of this physical place that starts to get violent in a way that I think kind of reflects like the violence that it feels like to f lose your faith and to start questioning like, wait, is there any meaning to any of this at what all? Like, like become an adult. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right? To like leave that exactly like what you said, that safe space of the church or of mm -hmm. your home and just be presented with the spires with the marrow is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. In the second verse, I mean, bones are just all over this. There's <laughs> bones yeah. here, there's bones there. <laughs> um, we have bone marrow, we have bones of the birches. Yeah. Um, I love the idea of marrow as nourishing and yeah. full of strength. Um, uh, there's a quote, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. Like that also has mm. kind of a certain violence to it. 
Oh, everything sloped like it was dragged from a rope. The mouth of a selfie load that just, it's such a, there's such movement. Yeah. To that line too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I specifically on Facebook in our A Hopeless Endeavor pod, podcast Facebook group, I specifically asked people like, I think, like, I just, I feel like there's something that I'm missing in this imagery about everything sloped, like it was dragged from a rope. Um, in that, like, I don't know exactly how to picture it, but people seem to think that, like, she just seems to be literally referring to, like, the Northern Californian landscape. Mm. I actually have this, like, really, like, tender memory for me, which is uh, driving to a Janet Newsom concert, actually, I think in 2010 with, like, our mutual friend, Alicia, and we, and I think Ryan and Cedric, and we were... Uh, like driving past this, like through the night into Montreal from Winnipeg, which is where Sam and I are both originally from in, in Canada, driving to Montreal, which is a really long drive and passing by these trees. We were listening to Joanna the whole way. Of course we you passed, were. <laughs> of course we were. It doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> <laughs> and we passed by these trees that were like literally all bent as though like some like hurricane or something had come by and just like tipped the tops of all of the trees into one direction and I remember in that moment thinking of like that line everything sloped like it was dragged from a rope but then she's talking about from the mouth of the south below and it just like messes me up I don't know mouth of the south below really stumped me like I have literally written in the google docs 10 question marks in a row because is it a certain direction that is being pulled? Like, it, I'm not right. sure. I don't know either. The only, like, half-baked theory that I don't even think is right is, like, the south below reminds me of just, like, hell, I guess. Mm, like, totally. And if yeah. she's describing a violent place or, like, that her previously tender and welcoming childhood space has now turned dark in this way. That's the only thing I can think of, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Totally. Um, I did make a few notes about just like sun pouring wine, sun as life-giving, as soul-satisfying, um, blood and marrow, um, as being of the earth, um, the idea of bringing darkness into light or um, lightness into dark. Um the belief of nature having the strength of God or having God-like qualities. Um, and then just like the idea of the spire um, as compared to like the roots of a tree as compared to mm. the birch roots. Who knows? That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I like that contrast, like something dragging or like pulling up or pointing up yeah, in the same way yeah, as yeah, it's yeah. being pointed down. Exactly. Um. So then we've seen those mountains kneeling, Felton and Grey. We thought our very hearts would up and melt away from that snow in the nighttime, just going and going. And the stirring of wind chimes in the morning, in the morning, helps me find my way back in from the place where I have been. Wow. Um, <laughs> the, just the word Felton. I really know. gets me as someone like I live in Vancouver right now and you know you it's gloomy 90% of the winter and you wake up and there is this felton gray air surrounding you it's surrounding the mountains it's everywhere 
Um, what is Felton mean again? Felton just like uh, here. I'll Google a quick uh, definition. But to me, it just like me like made of felt. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's what I thought. Yeah. Felton. That's really that's a beautiful image. Oh yeah, and I mean, we never see the sun, but it's still beautiful. <laughs> um, um, I really like the imagery too of like the mountains being kneeling. Like mm. I, again, I don't know quite how to picture that, but to me, it's like I don't know. They've been brought to their knees in some kind of way. Yeah, they're stuck. They're immobile yeah. on their knees. Yeah. And that snow in the nighttime. Yeah, just I, the way that. So yeah, like I got into joining some I don't know more than ten years ago. I can't remember exactly when, but I remember that the one of the first things that I like glommed onto that I really loved and that touched me deeply was the line from that snow in the nighttime just going and going like like I just mentioned Sam and I are from Winnipeg which is a fucking snowy cold ass (laughs) (laughs) prairie city in Canada and I remember just so vividly feeling that that line like the snow in the nighttime just going and going it's like this relentless fucking evil like really hard to endure totally nature I guess just going and going but also like when I first got into her too like in my early 20s it was like that's how life is too it just fucking goes and goes and like I mean I still feel that way (laughs) totally it's it's (laughs) relentless man yeah and so yeah I just I really love the way she repeats that I don't think it's a mistake yeah and just the idea of the mountains as going and going as well like they are kneeling they are felt and they are gray and they are endless Mm -hmm. um they're covered in snow they're so humongous they're stuck there it's just such beautiful imagery yeah i don't know if this is on purpose or like if this is what if, if this is like an intentional thing but um like i think we'll see more explicitly as we go throughout the song but i can sort of already start to get the taste of like an existentialist e feel here in that like I don't know just describing the nature so vividly and um I don't want to say detachedly but like in this like violent way that we've already talked about and this like sort of um like really massive description of nature and this like emphasis too on nature already makes me feel a little bit like existential dready where it's like what am I in comparison to this, totally so this small force. Yes, so small. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> and then when she gets to the stirring of wind chimes, did did I already read that? I can't remember. Yeah, uh, yeah. So when she gets to the stirring of of wind chimes part uh, in the morning, in the morning helps me find my way back in. So this is like the start of where she's really um, comparing or like. Uh, making us think of night in reference to like some fucking dark place that like dark shit she's going through and um, the morning as like just symbolizing whatever like the um, relief from that dark shit that she's going through and I really like the way it sets up the theme for this song of being like look um, this is about me coming back home like from this like dark existentially place that I've been um, within this um, place that, like, we grew up, this kingdom in which we grew up, uh, I'm going to find, like, solace at some time. It helps me totally. find my way back to safety. 
Solace is such a good word for that, too. Hmm. The next verse is, And Emily, I saw you last night by the river. I dreamed you were skipping little stones across the surface of the water, frowning at the angle where they were lost and slipped under forever. In a mud cloud, Mika spangled like the sky had been breathing on a mirror, which is just like mind-blowingly precise and incredibly beautiful. I need to find some synonyms for beautiful here because like... (laughs) Um, I so agree. Yeah. Captivating, enthralling, like divine, excellent, graceful, all of them. Um, Totally. So lovely. Um, So just in case people are like me and like don't like the vocabulary of Genesim is something that I aspire to when I'm like 85 years old and have yeah. like, <laughs> like like I don't know how the fuck she does it she's so fucking brilliant and like whatever okay so um in case anyone's like me and like doesn't know what Micah is uh from my googling And from what I understand, it's like a kind of stone that has like a shimmer or like a sparkle to it, I guess. Spangled. The only way I know that word is from like the Star Spangled Banner, uh, which is just like shimmery. I looked that up too. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is like some, I don't know how to, I don't know whether to refer to this as like controversy or just like disagreement on, uh, I think it was on Genius, um, the website, but about what exactly here is being described as mica spangled. And I think what I think is going on is that the mud cloud is itself mica spangled. So like literally when the stone hits the bottom of the river, um, the like cloud of dust that comes up is like uh, full of mica and it's like shimmering because mica, the stone is like shimmery. Um, okay. And then, so I made some, I don't know about, uh, your partner, Sam, mm-hmm. but my partner does not listen to Giovanni. <laughs> it's like part of the reason for I my mean, making this podcast. When he has a choice. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. There's certain so, times it has to happen regardless. <laughs> right. Exactly. So as I was prepping for this podcast, I made him read the entirety of the lyrics because I was like, hey, you know a lot about religion. I have a feeling religion is prominent in this song. You need to read this and tell me what's going on. And uh, we like had this like disagreement where he thinks I'm wrong about this, but Mm. I think that, okay, so the imagery of a sky been breathing on a mirror is something that I think is significant in that I think that a theme in the song is something has something to do with like the um, like sky and vastness of space being reflected in our lives as just like lowly human beings. And this again, sort of existentialist vibe where it's like, um, like, we're just matter in the same way as all this space stuff is. We're just matter in the same way as all this star shit is. And our lives are just as significant and just as meaningless as, as everything that's going up on this, uh, in the sky. 
everything that's going on in the sky. And so when she says, like, the sky had been breathing on a mirror, I think it's, like, inviting us to make the comparison of the sky being, like, literally reflected in, I guess not literally, (laughs) figuratively (laughs) reflected in the... um, in the water below, yeah. but like, yeah, also figuratively in this other way, which is like reflected in, um, not just like visually reflected in the water, but also reflected in the way that like our lives are and the meaning of our lives. I don't know. My partner thinks I'm wrong about this. So take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the line, like the sky had been breathing on a mirror makes me wonder it makes me think of conversation and if the like it's as if the lake the water is full of these breathy dots um if it's something in conversation that keeps coming up with her sister um but just the incredible visual of emily in the dark reflected in the maybe still river skipping stones um seeing like their loss to the body of water. Yeah. Um, and like, as you said, the rocks hit the river bottom and they create this mud cloud as the mud cloud appears. It spangles the water or the sky or the riverbank with um, these breathy dots. And it's just so beautiful. Um, I also read, I think on genius, I think it's just worth mentioning. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Again, how much I, I, think this is going on but I think it's um, a cool thought that um, she emphasizes Emily here frowning at the angle where they were lost and slipped under forever so emphasizing like the contrast between Emily's personality and the narrator's personality so emphasizing that Emily is a scientist and sees things in a very different way than um, the narrator does and yeah, so like at the angle is a very interesting way of phrasing that particular line. And I think that also in that same line and slipped under forever, the foreverness of it just makes me think even more of the existential uh, vibe going on through this song. It's like a totally. forever thing. And it's cool to yeah. think about too, just like when you do something as insignificant as throw a rock into a river. It's totally true. Those rocks are never going to fucking move. From it's the gone. Of the river. It's insignificant and also permanent in this, yeah, I don't know, in this weird like mortality way that I, it's super cool to think about. Totally. Um, so we did receive this document from M.M. Wright. Um, and in this document, she mentions um, a connection to Joanna's best friend, Cassie. Um, and that, uh, after, perhaps after, um, Cassie passed away, um, Joanna went out into the woods to meditate by a river for three days. And, um, just that general connection to, um, to water, to the river water theme. Yeah, totally. I loved listening to, again, I don't remember which interview, but, um, actually, I think it, this was an interview I was reading about where she was talking about like the literal story where she like went and just like sat by a river for three days. And so like in Cosmere, when she says like um, uh, brought me bread and water by the kiff and the kin, like she's literally talking about her how her friends brought her like rice and water so that she could like sit there and meditate by this river. Um, sort of just like, I don't know, it like it speaks to, I guess, how significant water is. 
I mean, both to her personally and just throughout this album. Okay, so I also wanted to say um, that, again, I'm so sorry for not referencing my source here, but um, I think it was on Genius, but maybe it was somewhere else. But someone had noted somewhere that uh, the image of Emily stone skipping, skipping a stone, mirrors the way that the meteor falls out of the sky later. So like she throws something into the void and, uh, you know, contrasted with like the void throwing something back at us. Um, Yeah, not sure how much weight to give that, but I still I like that idea that it's mirrored in this way that I sort of think is going on throughout the whole song. Totally. Yes. If I didn't already say a huge, immense thank you to M.M. Wright for her notes um, on Emily, I will say it now. Thank you. Um, It's been so cool to compare what we have learned, what we've known these past 10 years listening to Joanna and these past few weeks, um, looking at this really closely with this incredible document you sent us. So thank you again um, for that. Um, A huge thank you for me too. Yeah, I especially enjoyed um, in talking about the skipping of the stone, um, the idea that Emily um, is recognizing and judging the angle of the stone itself. And that being an idea of like natural physics as something she can't change. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she is also paying attention, as you said before, actually, Nikki, that um, this is something that most humans ignore, that we are too wrapped up in ourselves. We are so wrapped up in the way M.M. Wright puts it is in industry um, that we don't we don't notice something as simple as uh, the skipping stone. Um, and I just thought that was a really beautiful interpretation of that line. So thank you. Um, I also wanted to mention, I'm just looking this up real quick because I want to make sure that I'm right about this reference, but, um, I think that, uh, there's this like existential phrase that is really popular. Yeah. Um, so the concept of throneness, (laughs) uh, T-H-R-O-W-N-N-E-S-S. Throneness is um, a popular existential thought. So the philosopher uh, Martin Heidegger coined the phrase like that we're all thrown into existence, like thrown from the void. And in this line, but also in the the chorus of the song, I can't help but think that um, it might be referencing that. Uh, I need to credit my partner for this thought, by the way, even though I I am currently getting my... uh, my PhD in philosophy, but Ooh. my partner, <laughs> it's a fucking slow, tedious process, but my partner who um, is a psychologist, uh, but also knows a lot about philosophy, drew my attention to this when we were talking about Emily the other day. So I wanted to credit him. Thank you, David. Uh, but yeah, I think there might be something um, that she's referencing. Joanna's incredibly well-read. And so I wouldn't doubt that she's referencing something like that. So she then says, Anyhow, I sat by your side, by the water. You taught me the names of the stars overhead that I wrote down in my ledger, though all I knew of the rote universe were those Pleiades loosed in December. I promised you I'd set them to verse so I'd always remember. Do we dive into the Pleiades? Let's dive into those Pleiades. Well. I didn't know before I looked it up because of this song, but the Pleiades are a constellation, uh, also known as the Seven Sisters, and they literally are 
like when she says loosed in December, they literally just come out in the winter um, or just visible, I guess, in the winter. And M.M. Wright, actually, um, I really liked her theory that one of these seven sisters, I don't know how to pronounce this name, so it's I'm really bad with like ancient Greek <laughs> names, <laughs> mythology names, um, M-E-R-O-P-E. I think it's Merope. I don't know, though, for sure. Does that sound right to you, Sam? Uh, let me consult. Um, Merope? Merope? I should know the linguistic, uh, the IPA symbols for these here. And why is that, Sam? What are you studying? <laughs> I am currently a student of linguistics. <laughs> I would say Merope? 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 Mm -hmm. Sorry. It's an okay. emphasis on the R there, too. That's Merope. Okay. So, yeah, M.M. Wright. Um, uh, brought our attention to this. Actually, I found her, like a creep, found her um, Tumblr where she had like laid out this theory uh, in response, I think, to a Blessing the Birds, Blessing All the Birds Tumblr page, which is just my fucking Bible. It is go read that entire blog or that entire Tumblr if you haven't already. It's just a feminist interpretation of Joanna songs and lyrics and it is just like uh, I've gotten so, so much out of that blog and we are going to pull so much out, um, so much of our content from that blog. So I just want to credit them. I will find their names in the next episodes that I can actually credit them for real. So, yeah, anyways, M.M. Wright was saying that throughout the album, um, Joanna is comparing herself to Mayuripi. <laughs> Uh, the mythological character who is one of the seven sisters and notably she's one of the seven sisters who uh, is like the least visible of the sisters and the myth is that she has like hidden her face in shame because she is the only one of the sisters who has married a uh, non-god so she marries Mary uh, Ripi uh, marries Sisyphus and obviously Sisyphus. Sisyphus. <laughs> Sisyphus gets named later explicitly in the album. And so um, it's really cool to think of Joanna as as May Rippy here. And of course, like the Seven Sisters, um, that theme just calls back to the sisterhood theme of this song in particular. So um, yeah, thank you to M.M. Wright for that, for that uh, interpretation. I think it's really useful here. Okay, so should we get to the chorus? Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh yeah. boy. Is right. In my Google Docs, I have a disclaimer that says <laughs> here begins the heaviest shit. <laughs> here begins the heaviest yeah. shit? Absolutely. Oh my God. This chorus is like straight up controversial. I think, like, given. So I'm a part of like a bunch of like Joanna Newsome Facebook groups, like JNU shit posting and uh, Joanna Newsome news and discussions. Um, Sam is just not really on Facebook that much. I'm not at all. I'm sorry. Um, no, it's a good thing. I think it's a really good thing. Facebook is straight up evil. We should all not be on it. But given that uh, I have weakness of will to the extreme, I am on there. And I feel like this gets like like debated 
fiercely. And also like on the Tumblr that uh, M.M. Wright in particular thinks uh, one strong thing about this um, chorus. So, okay, I have like a literal <laughs> a literal chart written down in my notebook about, <laughs> about this chorus. So can I throw it the fuck down man do it yeah go for it so let's i'm gonna read out the chorus first just so everyone knows although i'm sure it's unnecessary but then i'm gonna go through my little chart okay so the chorus is that the meteorite is a source of the light and the meteor is just what we see and the meteoroid is a stone that's devoid of the fire that propelled it to thee and the meteorite's just what causes the light and the meteor is how it's perceived and the meteoroid's a bone thrown from the void that lies quiet and offering to thee beautiful okay wow (laughs) so my chart is broken down into whether she is right or wrong about this description so on the assumption that she is wrong about this this is why some people think she's wrong um in describing uh uh these three different kinds of like astral figures astral uh things is because okay the literal interpretation of it, just like not being figurative at all, is that the meteorite is the thing, the rock that we find on Earth after it's fallen from space. So the meteorite is the thing that's on Earth, which at first glance, at least, seems to contrast with what she's saying here, because she's saying that the meteorite is the source of the light. So it's it's something that is uh, emitting light. Okay, so so... Just take that uh, uh, as it is for a second. The meteor, uh, literally speaking, is um, the rock as it catches fire and enters the Earth's atmosphere. So the reason it catches fire is because of the friction of the rock falling into the Earth. Also, disclaimer, I know fucking nothing about this shit. I just (laughs) have read this on the internet. So uh, very likely that I'm misstating something. Okay, and then... The meteoroid, literally speaking, is like the thing in space that uh, like might become a meteor if it if it falls through the atmosphere, the Earth's atmosphere, but is not yet a meteor because it's not yet on fire. It's just like floating around in space. Okay, so did I make it clear, Sam, as to why she might be wrong about this? Does that make sense? That she's yeah, because it's it's scientifically not a thing. Like right, she's she's saying it's the source of the light. Yes. Yeah. She's okay. she's switching around these definitions a bit for sure. Exactly. Okay. So so okay. On that assumption that she is like fucking with the definition intentionally. Yeah. Right. Okay. So there's she. There are- yeah. Right. She knows her sister is an astrophysicist. There's no way okay, that she right. doesn't know what is what. Right. So, like. Okay. So of my theories here, I've put under like the subheading of my. <laughs> she is wrong. option is that okay a it's a mistake so she fucked it up and like she she uh like didn't mean to get it wrong and the support for this is that uh like for the record i don't think this is right but the support for this for the people who do think it's right is that um at some concert someone yelled out like did emily actually teach you about i don't know like astrophysics or like space and she said, like, sigh, like, like she tried to, um, which sort of like would make sense if she had in fact gotten this wrong. Okay. However, 
The reason maybe that that's not the case is that Emily actually sings on this song. Um, right. So she's like right there, right? Yeah. And so I think that if, like probably, right, if she had gotten it wrong, Emily would have been like, hey, sister. Yeah. Can I just just, just fill you in real quick here? Exactly. Okay. So uh, on the theory that she is wrong, another subheading is B, that it was intentional, not a mistake, right? And then there's a sub-subheading. <laughs> love your organization here. <laughs> it is so stupid this is like a philosopher's like <laughs> journal okay so if it was intentional there are like two options so the first option is that like it's intentional and the reason she did it is that she just didn't care enough about the actual facts and it just like rhymed better and so she wanted to go with that which i don't think so joanna's like calculated but maybe i don't know i don't know and um, but the other option that i could think of at least is that she did it as a sort of representation of how, if we're assuming that she's wrong about this description, she did it as a sort of representation about how she is like, um, again, contrasted with her sister in that she like is so much more focused on the art aspect of the world that she, and like the poetry of existence that she like tried to write down something literal and instead just got it fucked up because it like metaphorically fit better. And so she's like contrasting like her inability to like see the world in the way that her sister does, right? Totally. Even when she's trying to. Okay. That is, those are like my options under, uh, she got it wrong. Under the sub, sub, sub. <laughs> Under the sub, sub, sub. Exactly. Got it. <laughs> totally. And it's like nature versus nurture, right? Like it's like her sister's coming from um, a very rigid – I shouldn't say her sister. I should say the character um, Emily is coming from a very rigid, very fact-based perspective. Um, and the narrator in the story is coming from something that's a lot more fluid, a lot more loose, a lot – um, maybe more relatable um, yeah. than these cold, hard facts for yeah. sure. And I wonder too, I haven't thought about this before until just now, but I wonder too if there's some significance to that if we're assuming that it, she got it wrong um, in the fact that like leading up to this chorus, she says, I promised you I would set this to verse so that I'd always remember. But in does that, like, she? Yeah, right, exactly. So she set it to verse, but like, she wrote she it down. She wrote it down. She might have broken the promise, though, because she didn't remember the actual literal thing. Okay. And she knows that it's more – the narrator knows that it's more effective as a lyrical tool right. in this narrative that she's creative than yeah. the facts and are. And that that's more important to her. Like, that's, like, totally. what she's focused on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's – those are my subheadings for she got it wrong. But Brilliant. there are – <laughs> Again, several different theories uh, leveling the argument that she got it right. Okay. So, again, when I was talking to my partner about this, he was like, I don't think she got it wrong. So, like, listen to how, if we're thinking about, like, the existential theme throughout this song, um, like, let's take this part by part. So, if we're thinking about the meteorite, which, in fact, the literal interpretation is that the meteorite is the thing that's on the earth, that has already fallen from the sky, has gone through the atmosphere, and is now on the earth. But she says the meteorite is the source of the light. Okay, so what if, though, 
She's just saying that, like, look, this rock that's on the ground next to us is the same fucking thing that was just in the sky. It's mm-hmm. not like a magical thing that's in the sky that actually had light and that, like, is, like, godly almost in a way. It's the same thing. So this rock here that is not on fire right now was the source of the light, was the thing that was, like, looking super magical, but it's actually just a fucking rock. Um, okay. The meter is just what we see. That seems right. I think on any interpretation, even if like she's wrong about the other shit, I think she's right about the meteor, right? The meteor yeah. is just what we see. It's like the fire coming through the atmosphere. And we don't on have any, any we don't have any impact on that, right? Like we can touch, we can touch, um, sorry, I'm just going back. We can touch the meteorite if it's on earth, right? We have some impact yeah. on that. It's within yeah. our grasp uh-huh. as humans. Meteor. Can't do shit about it. It's coming. It's just what we see, right? It's just what we see. Totally. We don't interact with it. We just see it as this like beam of light. Yes. Um, Okay. And the meteoroid. Okay. So literally, it's the thing in space that has not yet entered the atmosphere. Um, She says either that the meteoroid is the stone that's devoid of the fire that propels it to thee or that the meteoroid is the bone thrown from the void that lies quiet and offering to thee. So on the interpretation that she actually got these things right and that she's not making like a mistake is that um, the meteoroid is a, a stone that's devoted to the fire. So in that um, it, hasn't, it hasn't yet entered the Earth's atmosphere. It hasn't yet become this thing that we like think uh, like that we like sort of revere. It's not um, even in our mind space. Like it's yeah. so far outside. Yep. And then yeah. also on the bone thrown from the void um, part of the lyrics, like it's a like, I mean, there's nothing more literal than thinking of like space as like the void. It is so to me, there's nothing more like existential totally thought inducing than like thinking of the vastness of the universe, which is totally. super intimidating. Oh, my God. It's so crazy. So totally. Yeah, if we're thinking of the meteoroid, which is like the thing that is uh, uh, floating in space that might come down to Earth but might not, it's just like this thing that like hasn't yet become a source of interest for us and is just thrown from the fucking void of space um, that lies quiet and offering to thee. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to think about this. Oh, also, um, uh, M.M. Wright pointed this out to us that uh, – on her interpretation, it is um, uh, sort of bringing to mind or referring to uh, to various extents of like literalness, referring to the Holy Trinity, so Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. Yeah, I love that part of the submission. I thought it was a really interesting um, angle in that she said um, the meteorite is the Father, the meteor as the Holy Spirit, and the meteorite is Christ. And I yeah. think the most interesting part of that analogy to me was the idea that um, the fire itself, um, she compared it to God's divine light, and it's something that humans are devoid of or mm-hmm. are incapable of comprehending. Yeah. Um, and additionally, the idea of Christ acting as a kind of filter for that divine light um, yeah. and making his word, making God's word comprehensible or lucid for us tiny, puny humans to be able <laughs> to understand. Coming from someone who is not religious um, in at any all. way, but I just thought that at all. 
Um, I just thought that was endlessly interesting and also just tied back to um the bones man yeah the, bones, the, the bones, marrow yeah. the wine um and i just made a note here while you were talking to nikki the idea of like the vastness of space as a void just made me think of um you know the height of the spires that we spoke about earlier the mountains um yeah just the vastness there's something about vastness whether it's in space or on earth and like just just grounded in nature that is super like humbling and intimidating and like small making in that like we are forced to confront uh like the literalness or like the like the meaninglessness i guess of totally our own existence that i think is it's really really beautiful um, and the spires of the church is jutting out from the shadows like if we think of the rock coming from space, shooting on fucking fire through space. Like what's, what's more jutting is the, as a totally. verb? What's totally. more is jutting a verb? Anyway. Jarring. Yeah. Like, Jarring. Yeah. Jutted. Jutted from the void. Yeah. 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 No, I totally feel that. Um, yeah. I a hundred, like I really love the existentialness of this. Um, just like a like side note anecdote here. Um, at the, I went to a Joanne Newsom concert on like just her most recent tour, which was on September 11th, actually, uh, in New York City, I guess last year, so 2019. And someone asked her, I think the question was something like, <laughs> when's the last time you've cried, I think? And she said something like, like, I cry every single day. <laughs> like, totally. And man, I like was so stoked to hear that. I just like related so hard. I was like, yes, like us sensitive souls. <laughs> yeah, she's unite. feeling all the feelings, true and She's empaths. feeling all the feelings. And I just yeah. get that vibe so much from this song. I don't know. And that's, yeah, okay. you know, that's why this is such an emotionally intense project for us too, right? Because we yeah. said this before we started recording, but recording, but how many times did you listen to Emily this week, Nikki? <laughs> oh my God, 17 million. You guys, if you haven't yet, you need to go listen to, I think it's called The, the Bottle Tree recording on YouTube. Sam, I think I meant to send this to you, but I didn't. But it is like... I believe an early version. I don't think she's ha like she hadn't released East yet. I don't think, and so she plays just all of East in its entirety in order. And wow, like the, the dream. orchestration! Oh my fucking god, it's so good. Hey, I meant to ask you at the beginning of this. Um, do you have a favorite Joanna album? Oh, that's a heavy question. It is a heavy question. <sighs> I mean, there are songs that I go back to more consistently with others and i'm also someone who loves really sad music <laughs> like i love 100 i love shit that makes me fall yeah that's my favorite brand of <laughs> but music i feel like we're in good company with this crowd of sensitive oh, souls that we're man. talking to yeah let us know your favorite song too yeah um, so your favorite album i i don't think I can say, I think like as a whole, this is probably my favorite album. It's probably yeah. the one that I've gone back to most. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I could name a favorite song. Yeah. I think that's probably too controversial. It's too, much. It's too much, yeah. Do you have a favorite album? Yeah, I, like I think it's, 
like disclaimer, it's a super close call and I am in love with absolutely every single album. Like for sure, East have one on me and Divers are like, they occupy the top three spots of all of my favorite albums of all time. Yeah. Milk Eyed Mender, I fucking love. I like might put like a Dylan album before that or maybe like a Sufjan album before Milk Eyed Mender. But like, anyways, those three albums are like my favorite by far in the whole world. And I think that East is my favorite of them. I don't even really know how to express why. Just, I guess, like, the, like, concise, existential, super emotional, super, like, sensitive. Um, I don't know. It's I, like I just, listening to a novel, right? Like, it's yes. like getting, it's like yes. getting, getting an entire story yeah. in <laughs> 16 minutes <laughs> like yeah. for her song, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. And she, like... Even the way that she sings these songs sounds like less guarded than normal. I think that like that there are only five songs, two is like really significant, I guess, to me or something like it just yeah. they all just resonate with me so much. I love every single aspect of this album. It is the first album that I fell absolutely in love with when I first got into um, Jenna Newsome and just, yeah, I don't know. I love this album. <laughs> Obviously, I'm curious to ask now that we're very much off top off topic here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the first Joanna song that you heard? I actually I have no idea. I'm pretty sure it was Milk Eyed Mender. I remember specifically it was with our mutual friend Alicia, and it mm-hmm. was our other mutual friend Cedric who had introduced us to Milk Eyed Mender. I in my memory it's the Book of Right On, Ooh. but I'm not sure. Uh, it might have just been like the whole album of Milk Eyed Mender, um, but that was way fucking back when, like in 2006 or five or seven or something. I don't know. I uh, mean, how about you? Disclaimer, we are uh, elder millennials here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, 31 and Sam is 30. Oh, yep. Yeah. We there. Yeah. How long have we known each other, Sam? Has it been 10 years-ish? Probably around that, yeah. 10, 11. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's your, what's the first song you heard? Uh, mine was for certain Peach Plum Pear, um, oh. but it was kind of like a background. Uh, my best friend, one of my very best friends growing up, um, we were on a team together and it was her endlessly cool older sisters who were obsessed oh. with Joanna Newsom. And it was something that I don't think I paid enough attention to at like, you know, 13, 14, 15. Um, so for sure, when I heard it again, um, when I was a little bit older, I was like, shit, that's the key. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's how you get there. That's so awesome. All right, so that's all we have on Emily, at least for now. We want to sincerely thank you guys so much for listening to our rambling, uh, scrambling theories. Um, Thank you so much to everybody who has submitted anything to us. We truly appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. And we hope you guys enjoyed this. Send us any feedback you might have about the length, about the content, uh, whatever. We truly are open at the same time be a little bit gentle with us because we are tender hearts (laughs) as i'm sure you guys all are too um 
We have a Facebook group, which is A Hopeless Endeavor, colon, the Joanna Newsom podcast. Sam runs our Instagram, which is? Uh, a Hopeless Endeavor pod. Yeah, A Hopeless Endeavor podcast. Um, Endeavor is spelled E-N-D-E-A-V-O-R. And we also have an email address, which is a endeavor at gmail.com. So let us know, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Thank you.